Let us go to the word. Second Corinthians seven, verse eight. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness and what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Amen. God is the Holy Father. 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 John 17, 11, he is the Holy Father. For he gives birth to children. Uh, we're talking about souls. He gives birth to children with and in his precious blood. And what kind of blood? Why is it precious? As First Peter 1, 19 um, says, it is the blood that is without blemish or defect. So it is perfect blood that is holy, that is pure, that is without spot or stain. In that blood, he, gave, he gives birth to uh, souls to make them his children. And he makes holy um, those who repent and turn back to him to let them stay eternally in his house, also known as the holy city. So Jeremiah 25 verse 5 um, has this prophecy about turn now each of you from your evil ways and evil practices and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. Certainly for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, that's the land of Canaan. But as prophecy leading through uh, the Old Testament fulfillment and for us today, the children of God in the New Testament, the era of grace, this is the land of heaven, the land of the living in, in heaven called the holy city. Only those are made holy can enter there and to uh, dwell with him forever, stay there eternally is um, what he wants to do. And faith is believing in that, that we believe, that I believe that my soul has been cleansed, made pure by the precious blood of Yeshua. How many of you believe that? That you have been made clean, pure by the blood of Yeshua. Hebrews 9, 13, 14 says, because he is holy, his blood is holy. And whatever touches his blood is made holy. Amen? So it's my soul inside the flesh. Faith life then is not to end there. Salvation doesn't end there. Salvation, as you remember last week, is to be worked out, to grow up on, and continually until we leave the burning universe. So until then, until I attain and arrive in my salvation, the salvation of my soul, what do I need to, every, do, I need to do every single day, my daily life, according to this attribute of God, this theme today, is to live a life of repentance. To repent and repent and repent. Why? That's the way to purify my heart. To purify my heart, I need to repent. Um, as the passage that we read there in verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Repentance that leads to salvation. Um, 
And then Paul finishes that passage. It's like, at every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So what is he referring to? That passage is about repentance. How one arrives in repentance that leads to etern- uh, that salvation, which is eternal life. What it looks like. It's actually spelling out the process or the steps to godly, godly sorrow that leads to godly repentance. Which is to say... Not all types of repentance is godly. Not all types of sorry is accepted by God. So that's why we have to pay attention. Um, and as um, also 1 Timothy 5.22 says, keep yourself pure. James 4a says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So that's pretty serious, right? It's the words that are spoken not to unbelievers, but believers of today. And the reminder is to keep ourselves pure because we live in the world that is not pure. We live in the world that is not holy and we're in the flesh that is not holy. So for the believers, the only part that is made perfectly pure is the soul by the precious blood of Yeshua. So the gap between the perfect holy soul and the un- perfectly unholy, impure flesh, I need to close. That's the faith life. I, I, kinda, I see it that way. Is close the gap. If there is continuous gap, that soul will never leave the burning universe. There are three spaces, um, spiritual spaces in the end, where all souls will go. So it's like option one, option two, option three. But it's not by your choosing, but it's by how you choose while you're alive and how you live your life. That will determine where you will go in the life after. So, number one, the reason why I need salvation, right? We kicked off the new year um, here in EM um, with the purpose of life. What's it again? Eternal life. How are we going to get it? What's the goal? What's the mark? The resurrection to life, simply the first resurrection when the Lord comes back to be raptured, to be taken out. Why? Because we live in the world that will become hell. That's why. Salvation is necessary, not because people are depressed or sad or in a broken marriage or broken family or broken bank account. You know, all these issues are real and they are serious and people need help from. I'll get that. And Jesus knows that. But all those things also will pass away when the life passes away and the world passes away. But the matters of the spirit is forever and it will not pass away. So that's why we have to understand the reason why God sent his son to die is to save us, not from sadness and, and poverty, you know, financial or physical or even war, physical, political situation, but rather from the second death. That is the fire of hell, the lake of fire. That is where sin or those who are found to be in sin, those who are following the origin of sin will be thrown into called hell. So one place the spiritual space that many, many spirits will be thrown into is hell. Now, in the, uh, in the Bible, in the Greek Bible, um, hell is used, uh, different words are used to indicate hell. Um, but you guys are very well educated here that um, ho hades, which is translated also as hell in many places in English, is actually not referring to the fire hell. All right, so ho hades is actually uh, the grave. In Hebrew, it's called Sheol, and that is translated as Ho Hades, 
But in the Greek mythology, people will know it as Hades. Who's Hades? The ruler of death, right? The underworld. If you guys like Greek mythology, who, who does not? I, I used to love reading like the whole romance. It's like soap opera. Like, you know, it's like, oh my God, they had an affair and they had children and they were fighting. Yeah, all of that is made up story. So there, the ruler of death is called um, Hades. Um, and therefore people think it's like underworld, but it's not, it's the entire universe, but the fire is not burning, but the fire burning hell that Jesus spoke about, Yeshua spoke about specifically in Matthew 522. Um, uh, the Greek word is hey, gena. You're welcome. What's it called? That's right. Wow. You're so educated and logos. Yeah. I give it to you. Yeah. More and, and more. So ho hades. And then we have hey, gena, same space, but it's a different time if you will. So that's a time where um, trash is burned. You know, it's like trash burning. Um, so gay now comes from the, uh, the location, the physical location in Israel uh, where they actually burn trash. It's the valley of uh, gay now. So um, that's where um, unclean things are thrown into. And if you know anything about burning trash, it burns for a very, very long time, very long time. And the, the toxic fume is terrible. So um, if you think about that imagery and the warning that comes with it is that this is a place where unclean spirits will be thrown into. Why unclean? Because they're with sin. So sin is what makes the spirit unclean and spirits that are found in sin, still dead in sin, are thrown in there. So who goes there? Unclean spirits. And these are the followers of the devil, the origin of sin and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. The eternal fires prepare for the devil and his angels angels and in angels yes angels in heaven who were um uh, thrown out because they fell corrupted became corrupted with um, satan the devil but also who those who follow him are called his angels so anyone who's not following god not following jesus not believing jesus not believing yeshua but continuing on with worldly life and sinful life and just being dead in sin and not having their uh, sins washed they will be thrown into this um, spiritual space called hell, hey, Gaina, and that's where we live today. As Second Peter 3, 7 says, the present heavens and earth, Second Peter 3, 7, quickly, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So this is um, referring to the present heavens, again, heavens, meaning heavenly bodies, you know, the space, the spirit, um, the material heaven called the universe where stars are and the planets are, that's part of the heavens and then the, where the sky uh, is. So we, uh, around the earth, we have the atmosphere and we call this the sky and outside that is the rest of the space. Uh, you have galaxies and clusters of galaxies and so on. But the entire thing is called the universe and these are called the heavens, the first and the second. So the entire universe space is finite and this is the space that's reserved for the fire of hell and when it burns unclean spirits will be thrown and this is the world of the dead no one can come out no one can die no one can stop the suffering because the suffering is forever what do we say hell no way i ain't going there that's what i'm gonna say hell no i'm gonna say hell no and i'll allow you to say that hell no hell no yeah hell no i ain't going to hell you could say it hell no i ain't going to hell that's right yeah oh my god what kind of church is this church that hates hell amen yes and then um, the opposite place, the place that where we want to have eternal life. 
where we're promised to have eternal life, where life never ends, that life is exclusively to give, belongs to God, who is eternal, everlasting to everlasting, he is. His life never changes. His life is always beautiful and, and glorious and happy and, and joyful forever. Just the thought of it is amazing, right? It's unreal. Everything about us, on the other hand, and about the world changes. Because time is there. If you know anything about time, time is change. So the delta you know, in your equation is change. So you guys do the experiments in science class. It's like what happens after measuring time and stuff changes. Time changes the body. Time changes the planet. Time changes the entire universe. The time is what's perishing, causing us to perish. And that's the entire uh, creation. But in the spiritual heaven outside the universe, this is where the holy city is. Also, the Father's house, where Yeshua said in John 14, 2, I'm going to the Father's house, where I'm going to prepare a place for you. The Father's house. Just the thought of the Father's house. Does it sound good? Where there is rest, where there is uh, receiving, there is welcoming, and there is embrace, where there is love and forgiveness and, lo- and joy and peace and rest. Do you want to go there? I want to go there. Yes, I want to go to heaven. Yes, I want to go to the Father's house, the holy city. Who gets to go there? 2 Corinthians 11.2, speaking of the church, it says pure virgin. Pure virgin. So, uh, so a female who knows no, you know, someone who has never slept with another person. So virgin, virginal, meaning in, uh, no, no one who has been defiled can go there. We're speaking spiritually, but not only spiritually, physical life has consequence for them, right? How I choose while I'm in the flesh will determine whether I go there or be thrown into the unclean uh, place. But this is a place for only those who are pure, pure, because it's the place that's filled with light. Nobody who is in shame can go there, right? If you had broad daylight, you cannot imagine being without clothes, right? It's like, ah, ah, it's like nightmare. Nightmares. Yes, nightmares. You're like, oh my God, I was naked in my dream. Yeah, it's like night, nightmare. I didn't do my homework and I was in trouble. So it's like nightmare is that scenario. So you see Jesus talking about how come you are not dressed appropriately for this wedding banquet, right? So someone who is not appropriately prepared will not go there because it is filled with glory and life and light. Now, those are two places which most Christians think about or have heard of. But there is another place within the spiritual heaven that's not within the universe it's outside but uh, the holy city means there is boundary to this place where eternal life is but outside of it is another space called outside the city outside the city which is dark so it's not the darkness of the universe that will become hellfire but it's in the spiritual heaven but not inside the father's house but outside so if you imagine sort of invisible wall around the holy city, or the father's house, there's outside. So Yeshua talked about that in Matthew twenty two thirteen. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the imagery? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping <laughs> and gnashing. Weeping and gnashing teeth. Is this person happy? Are they regretful? Yes. Very, very severely regretful. Woulda, coulda, shoulda is what I would say. I should have done this. I could have done this. I would have done this. Woulda, woulda, coulda. Regretting. But there is no way to change. Because now this is the life after death. So this is the, the, these are the souls who have been cleansed by the blood. But in their life, they have not become purified. They have done evil. 
and they have been found as not having successful repentance life, changing their life, um, they may have had the blood, but they will regret for eternity in darkness. So Revelation twenty-two fifteen says, outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So, wow, that's a serious beginning there, right? Now, in the world, um, people also talk about being pure in the heart. So you may think like, yeah, I know, I love to, who doesn't like this kind of message, right? Be pure in your heart and live a pure life. Look at who doesn't want that. So people who are decent people, who are morally driven people, they have conscience and they have guilt. So according to their own conscience, which is right and which is wrong, this makes me feel good, this makes me feel guilty and bad, that becomes their standard and they follow that in their lifetime. Um, Also the religious people. Um, and religious people have doctrines which tells them, you know, which tell them the rules, do's and don'ts. And by that standard, they feel good or bad, and they feel uh, guilty or they feel um, uh, okay. So um, they reflect themselves before the uh, general conscience or doctrines that they follow. And then, if they feel not quite meeting the standard, then they have something called. Uh, and you've heard this in religious context, remorse. They're remorseful, remorse and penitence. So they are, they are sorry. Uh, and then that sorriness uh, uh, feeling leads to self-discipline. So I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to change my action. Um, and even to the extreme of I'm going to deprive myself. I love drinking, but I'm going to stop drinking because it's breaking up my relationship. It's messing up my life, blah, blah, blah. They do that. Um, and then um, even to the extreme, they will go to self-harm. Self-harm. So they will cut themselves, mutilate themselves, or even kill themselves. So you have these extreme ways of religious people, moral people, taking on the issue of guilt and purifying the heart and, and taking actions on their own. So maybe many people may think, oh, is that what you Christians do as well? And the answer is no. All these acts are irrelevant to the salvation of souls. All these acts are irrelevant to God's salvation. That's not the kind of repentance that leads to salvation. The way um, salvation, uh, repentance will lead to salvation is by receiving the word of God and having the word of God as our standard, as the measuring stick of what is right and what is wrong. It is the standard, as it is the righteousness. It's the rule. So the word of God is what reflects whether I'm in the right or wrong. I am right with God or wrong. So the word of God causes me to regret my heart, my action, my words. And then, as, uh, as we just read in 2 Corinthians 7 there, leads us to be sorrowful, godly sorrow. And then I will repent. And repentance, unlike some other versions, is not just saying sorry and then doing it again, right? Like in some Catholic settings, like you've seen, or maybe you've done it too, make confession to priests. Sorry, I've done this, Father, blah, blah, blah. And the Father says, okay, you're forgiven. Thank you. And go back and do it again. That's not what repentance is. The biblical true repentance leads to ultimately salvation. So I, and, and Paul writing, even if I caused you sorrow in my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. I love that. He's like, I hurt you, but I'm sorry, but not really. And sorry, not sorry. (laughs) So his letters uh, make up the pretty good uh, amount of the New Testament. So these are called the epistles. He wrote to many churches in uh, in the church era, and these are the words of God in Paul through Paul's writing. So what you're hearing here today is the same thing. So these words may hurt you, 
may feel you, make you feel like cut to the heart. I don't feel so good, Pastor. When I come to COJ, I don't feel so good. Why? Because your word, the preaching that you give, that, that you speak, the word you speak, makes me uncomfortable and painful. And I say, hallelujah. And then you know what I say? I heard the same message. I said to someone, I said, I heard the same sermon. Yeah, I received the same word. Me too. And then even if I don't feel so good right away, it makes me sorry and sorrowful, and that leads me to repentance. So why is this a problem? Because God made all men as um, souls. So when he, um, to be specific, to, to be clear, God breathed into one man and made him a living being, right? And his Adam, God breathed his breath, which is spirit, and man became spirit as a result. So man is flesh and spirit. And um, Adam became the ancestor of all mankind. So when he became spirit, we all became spirit. So we're not floating around like Casper spirit, but we are inside this material body called the flesh. So we're dual beings. So from him, we we inherit a spirit. And Adam, in the Garden of Eden where he lived, he had to live by the word of God. When God spoke to him, listen, you can eat from any trees, uh, any fruit, any vegetables in the garden for your flesh, but for your spirit. You must listen to my word, which was to not take from one tree, one single tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if you take it, you will surely die. God warned him in Genesis 2, 17. But he was deceived, tricked, tempted through the words of the devil who came, who spoke through a snake um, and said, you could take the fruit. You will not surely die still. You will be like God instead. You will be like God. Don't worry. And those words were so good to his ears that he actually took the fruit. But of course, instead of becoming like God, what happened to him and his, uh, his wife Eve is that they become cut off. But Eve is also part of the same spirit, came from the flesh and same spirit. So sin entered the spirit of Adam, meaning he became cut off, broken off from God. God being the source of life, now uh, cut off, separated, death entered the spirit. If you understand so far, say Amen. Yes, because the consequence of sin is death. And we're talking about spiritual death. And in that state, all men are going to follow the devil, the, the cause, the origin of sin, and be thrown where? Let's be educated. What's the Greek word? Gaina. There you go. Hey, Gaina. In the end, be thrown into the fire. That will be, hey, Gaina. Yes. So that's a hell fire. And that becomes the destiny of all mankind. But because God is the Holy Father who decided to give birth to the souls of men as his children and make them holy. So be ready to be taken up to the holy city where they be with him forever. God began um, doing his work according to the plan that he established in eternity. According to that schedule. He showed the way to come back to God. So Adam and Eve were uh, kicked out of the garden. And mankind, uh, and Adam and his family continued to live on physically. And continued generation, generation. People started to, you know, um, multiply and the children multiply. And here we are today. So physically continued on, but spiritually dead. So dead spirit continued on, all bound for hell. But here is God, according to his plan, now gradually, step by step, showing the way for men to repent and turn back to God. So the, uh, the Bible shows, and we call this biblical repentance. So religious setting, people talk about repentance or remorse, but we're talking biblical repentance. And biblical repentance is the one that leads to salvation. What does it lead to? And biblical repentance is correcting, correcting, correcting. So 
Um, the word, Greek word for repent is uh, metanoeo. And then you read about different conjugation versions of that uh, word. But generally it means to change one's mind or purpose. So when you repent, it means you change your mind and therefore your actions all follow. So repentance is not, sorry, sorry. It's not just that. Sorry, it's certainly saying sorry is the beginning, but you have to change. There has to be transformation. So there has to be thinking that is different. The moment of repentance is before and after. There has to be before and after. So first, the correction is for the knowledge about God. Correct your knowledge about God. So that's what John the Baptist in Matthew 3, uh, 2 said. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, he said. Metanoete is the Greek word there. John the Baptist, what he was saying to the, Jew, the Jewish people right, who were lined up to be baptized by John because they felt sorry. They were guilty. So here's John saying, why do you feel sorry? Because you have the wrong knowledge about God. So what's the knowledge that the Jewish people had about God? They said, well, we are the children of Abraham. We are chosen people. We are special people. And only to us, God made covenant, uh, gave covenant, and we made that contract with him, and he gave us the law. And by keeping the law, we can become righteous, which is wrong, right? which is wrong, that no one is righteous, not even one. So you have to correct your knowledge. That's the first thing. Second, Yeshua himself said in Matthew 4, 7, same words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, uh, meta, uh, noia or meta noete there, uh, Yeshua saying, correct your, your direction. All you people are headed towards the temple of Jerusalem to worship God. And because you think God is there and the name of God is there, you give sacrifice there thinking that is the way to God. But now I have come as a temple. I'm going to become the temple and the sacrifice. You turn to me. So there is knowledge, there's direction. And then after the Holy Spirit coming, uh, Peter, uh, preached, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. Acts three uh, two thirty eight. He said. So metanoesate is what he says there. Correct this time, not just knowledge and uh, direction which have you've done. Now you have to change your attitude toward God. Be cut to the heart and repent and be humble. Be humble. Be uh, be be laying us. Uh, be surrendered, and that you turn toward God. And hearing that, three thousand people repented that day and were baptized and con- con- uh, converted. So you see right away, repentance, baptism, and then conversion there. And then finally in Revelation 2, uh, we see the message of repentance to the churches. The Holy Spirit is speaking to these seven churches and to five there um, as she talks about repent and change your heart. So it's actually a, meta- a metanoeson, which is change your heart. So that's the message that we're working with. Change your heart. Change your heart. We start with knowledge, direction, attitude, heart. And that is actually the way in which we need to repent. We need to repent about the wrong thinking and then wrong direction, going the wrong way, and then having the wrong attitude. Now I need to look deep into my heart that only God knows and repent. So to the people of Israel, um, God gave the law, but law was given to the whole world, it says. Let's go to Romans 7, 7. 
What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But since seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become sin might become utterly sinful. Without the law, no one will know that they are in sin and that they're dead in sin, headed to hell. So that's why God gave sin to the people of Israel. In However, in Romans 3.19 says, it was given not to make people self-righteous, but to every mouth, for every mouth to be silenced. You think you're righteous, but once the law comes, you have to shut your mouth. You cannot say a word because you find yourself breaking it. Even if you are keeping up a 612 out of 613 commandments, you break one, you break all. You failed. Totally. And then it says the whole world held accountable to God. Certainly it first came to the people of Israel, but now the judgment is against the entire world. Everyone comes under the law. And what does the, the law do? You're already in sin. You're already committing sin. You are already sinful. But it's by knowing the law, you realize how sinful you are. Because the law functions as, the, as a mirror. Mirror that shows your reality. You think you're decent. You look in the mirror. Oh man, I'm soiled. I'm disgusting. Not like, oh, I'm not that bad. That's self-righteous. Nobody is righteous, not even the one. So once the law came and the people of Israel realized they were sinful, and the same law, therefore, and God is gracious here, um, for confessing, repenting sinners to live. Because the consequence of sin is death. And during the time of the law, people were killed physically as a result of their sin. So God gave if you will, a way out, as we've been hearing about redemption, atonement, and redemptive, um, a redeeming sacrifice in some uh, past few weeks. So first they, had, they were commanded to give sin offering. And Leviticus 16 talks about that. The day of atonement is about giving atoning sacrifice called the sin offering. And this was given once every year. And it's um, observed to this day by religious Jewish people called Yom Kippur, right? So Yom Kippur is the time where the entire nation gives one sacrifice, one time, and that's for all sins to be forgiven. So as a people, they gave. Also, they were commanded to give burnt offerings. So Leviticus 14, 19 to 20 says, and the priest is to sacrifice a sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with the grain offering and make atonement for them. They will be clean. So, uh, sin offering was once a year uh, for all, but the burn offering was at any time when found to be in sin, they were to bring it and it have it killed. So these offerings were with blood, animal blood, and that was done in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary, in the temple. Simultaneously, because we're always sinning and defiling ourselves unclean, God gave what's called regulations for purification. For what? purification. So anyone who considers himself unclean 
is now then to wash himself with water to be purified. So when you read through the book of Leviticus, it's like what is clean, what is unclean. And I was reading through like the bodily fluids and discharge. I was like, God, like, what? I'm not in medical school. What is, what is all this? But God is so kind. Like he, because God is holy, right? he's holy, he's holy. He does not associate with anyone, anything that is unholy. That's the lesson of the book of Leviticus. And then it's not like, yeah, I'm not that bad. I'm maybe 50 clean and maybe 50 or 60% clean and 40% maybe not. No, nobody is clean. Nobody is holy but God. So that's, again, the lesson is to, to look at it. And, and the people of uh, Israel try to follow the law uh, because the law said if you, t- if you become leprous, right, you have this, this disease, skin disease or, and this terrible disease, and you have a bodily fluid or discharge, and even women after giving birth and they're still bleeding, they're considered unclean. Uh, you know? and, and touching your father's um, dead body makes you unclean. So the unclean person, unless um, they go through this whole ritual of, uh, of, of, you know, purification with water, then they are considered unclean. Uh, again, that's important because God is holy. So again, in the sanctuary, they gave sacrifice with blood, but outside at any time with water, they're supposed to wash, wash, wash. If not, Numbers 19, 13 warned that if they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. The tabernacle, the te- a temple which had the name of Jehovah, if they did not clean themselves, purify themselves appropriately with water, they are actually defiling the temple that has the name of the holy God. Wow, that's serious. But that's how God associated. You are unclean, then you make the temple unclean. So the temple is important and they revere God, revere the name of God, Jehovah, and they revere the temple. But because they fail to purify themselves. They defy themselves by worshiping idols and other gods. God punished them and they lost their nation. They lost their peoplehood and they were punished. And while they were being still occupied by the Roman Empire then, the, the man who claimed to be the son of God, coming in the name of the father, the name of Yeshua, stood before the temple. And what did he say before the temple of Jerusalem? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in? How did they take it? Woohoo, no more. No more law and no more washing? No. Without the temple. I mean, even if you fail to wash yourself, cleanse yourself, you're defiling the temple. Can you imagine saying such thing or doing such thing to the temple? That's blasphemous. That's deserving death. But what he was referring to in John 2, 19 on says, only after he died and he resurrected, the disciples realized what he was saying. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. What is being raised? What is being destroyed? He's speaking of the temple of his body. And in three days, what's going to be raised back? The temple of his body. So he's talking about his death and his resurrection. He's prophesying in John 2, 19 of his death already. I'm going to die by the hands of men. But in three days, I'm going to be raised back to life. And through my death and my resurrection, not in the name of Jehovah, but in the name of the Father. Which name? In the name of Yeshua. I am going to purify I'm going to do the work of purification that is not with animals to do it once a year or with water from the ground that you do every day, but through the blood that comes from his body and the water that comes comes out of his body that he will purify the souls of men, the spirit of men and the hearts of men. Hallelujah. But wait, he's going to not do it with the blood of animal and water from the ground, but who is he? He's human. And what? That doesn't make any sense. 
Who is he? What is his body that he could purify the souls of men and the hearts of men? Where does he come from? Go to John 1, 1, quickly. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who was with God in the beginning? That's right, the word. Hologos in, in Greek. And this is the way God planned to manifest himself, reveal himself, to be the Holy Father. He planned this from the beginning. In eternity, before he made anything, before sin occurred, before any problem, he already had a mind to reveal himself. And how he's going to reveal himself, manifest himself through the word. To, by becoming physical, by becoming visible, by becoming material, by becoming man, becoming flesh and coming as man in the world that he made. So 2,000 years ago, verse 14 says, the word became, once again, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came as the one and only son. He came as the son of God. He is the word that became flesh, the God who came as man. That his flesh, therefore, is not from the ground. Having DNA tracing back to 23andMe, ancestor, Ancestry.com. He has no Ancestry.com. He has no 23andMe. His word is made of, his, <laughs> his flesh is made of, and I'm always giving away. I'm so easy. I don't know why you don't do better on the Logos test. Anyway, um, the, once again, the word became, God became, spirit became. So what is his flesh? Spirit. What is his blood? And his blood will be shed for spirits of men to be cleansed. And not only end there, but he will also pour out his water. Now, why? Again, why, why the heart? What, what's the problem? Let's go to Matthew 5. Uh, I'm sorry, 15. Matthew 15, 11. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is, what defiles them. So he's talking, because at the time the Pharisees saw him and his disciples not washing their hands. So um, if you know anything about the, uh, the, I mean, of course, you know from the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament throughout, how washing is so critical. And even to this day, religious Jewish people, religious Jews, they're always washing, washing. They have this ritual bathing thing that they have to do. It's so important for them because it all derives from the law of Moses. So that when they saw Jesus and his um, disciples not washing their hands and saying, oh my God, they're breaking the law and they're so unclean and they're eating without washing. And here he is saying, you think the hands, because they they weren't washed, is what's making your body unclean? And he's saying, it's what comes out of your mouth that is what's going to defile you. Not what you put into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth. Verse 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from where? Come from where? The heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So again, all the washing and everything was physical according to the law of Moses in the Old Testament, which they prioritized and they kept um, and, and throughout generations. Here's Yeshua saying, you think that's what's making you unclean? Your problem is actually, it's deeper. It's actually from your heart. Your heart, all these evil things come out, but it's certainly, even before heart, it's a spirit. 
Because then everyone was dead in sin, right? Sin was not paid for. So here's Yeshua giving the clue. It's not what you do on the outside that's going to throw, have you thrown into the garbage, the trash incinerator called Hegena in the end, but it's the problem inside. So he spoke these words, but the hardened hearts, like the Jewish leaders, especially the priests and the Pharisees, did not receive it. So they conspired to pass him over to death, and Yeshua died on the cross. But this was all according to the Father's plan schedule. So when Yeshua died on the cross, he said, he said, how did he die? He died on the cross. And crucifixion, death on the, on the cross, is by tearing the flesh because the prisoner or the, uh, the person is hanging on. The entire body is hanging on these nails. Like, can you imagine that? It's just unbelievable pain. And that they're hanging there by those, I mean, they're not tiny nails. They're huge. But if you were to weigh like 150, 60, 70, even 200 pounds, like how do you sustain that weight? And you're just being ripped and uh, just bleeding out. So it's de- by death, by dehydration, it's the most brutal way of killing someone. But as he died, his death was not a result of him being weak or the father abandoning him. But rather, as he had prophesied about his death, and John 10, 17, 18, he said this was a command that he received from the Father, that he would do it willingly, laying down his life, that he would lay down his life knowing that when he does so, trusting the Father, the Holy Father, who would then set him apart, recognizing the Son as obeying the command of the Father, and therefore being holy. Holy means to be set apart as the Holy Son. The Holy Father will raise him back to life, and that through his resurrection, Yeshua would be testified as the holy God. Amen? The son knew that, trusted that. He did not doubt for a minute. So when he died, as his body tore, like the veil in the temple, tearing, shredding, and then the blood gushing out, and certainly did not end there, to confirm that he was really dead. What did a Roman soldier do? Put the spear to his side. And what came out of the body? Blood and? It didn't say blood, right? It says just, it didn't just say blood, but it said blood and water, which is kind of strange. Like, why does the writer say, uh, the, you know, blood and water? Because it was visibly distinct. I can't imagine what that was like. You, it would be like mixed, you, you know, water, like maybe pinkish, you know, fluid coming out. But those who saw blood and water come out of the body. So that is the fulfillment of what he had said that he would accomplish through his death and his resurrection, which is that through his death, that he would do the work of purification. That is not once a year with animal um, sacrifice or every day or whenever they sin with animal sacrifice or even washing with water. All of that is external. That cannot sustain that. It doesn't do anything about the, the sin in the spirit. But Yeshua, by laying down his life according to the Father's command, first of all, to glorify the Father alone is holy, that he truly is the Holy Father, waiting for the father to also confirm that the son is holy through his resurrection he finished that and that by judging the unclean one the source of uncleanness who is that what is the most unclean thing in the eyes of god not what was in the toilet this morning Yeshua said what goes in that's what we do this body just makes everything junk out of it right you know what i mean this is like junkyard it's a junk maker you put all good stuff and junk comes out but thank God it comes out. It's, it's, it, thank God it comes out. Thank you, Lord. You made it so it goes out. Yeah, it doesn't stay in. Then we have a problem. It goes out. 
In the eyes of God, it's not poo that is most unclean. It's sin. The origin is the devil. And through his irreverent submission to the Father's command, he condemned this origin of sin, the devil, and what he accomplished through his death, as Hebrews 1.3 describes that he provided purification for sins. What did he provide? Purification for sins of men. And that is first, blood was shed for the spirit of men, to cleanse the spirit of men. Hallelujah! Pay the price of sin, redeem for the spirit of all men, to be received later on by their individual faith. Hallelujah! He did that. But also by pouring out his water, these who will receive his blood can also be then continue to wash with the water so that they will be cleansed of their heart, cleanse, cleansing their hearts, the guilt in their hearts. For the rest of their lives. So remember. The flesh of Yeshua is made of. The word. The word. The flesh of Yeshua is. The blood of Yeshua is. The water of Yeshua is. Okay. Keep that in mind. Yeshua died and the father raised him back to life. And he went to heaven. He sat down on the throne. As the king of kings. Yes. He's the king of kings and he is the living God. One with the father. But he's described as the lamb who is on the throne. And out of all things, why lamb? Again, what is the lamb? Sacrifice. And it has marks on its body to show that the lamb has been killed. Killed and, and killed young. Untimely death. And that it marked to show that blood and water was poured out. Totally totally emptied, totally poured out to purify the souls of men by blood and their hearts with his water. And it is the Holy Spirit who came from there according to the promise in the name of Yeshua to the souls of believers. Who are believers? Believers are those who have received the blood of Yeshua and have been cleansed by the blood of Yeshua. Say amen if you believe that, first of all, your soul. And that you have been cleansed by the blood of Yeshua. Let's go to Hebrews 9.13 to 14. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them. So that they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Hallelujah. So when I'm calling upon the name of Yeshua, calling on the name, me believing in the name of Yeshua as the name of my Redeemer and my Savior, and I receive the blood into the soul. So that state is being dead in sin. I'm an unbeliever. And this is what Peter, again, said in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's speaking to unbelievers. Unbelievers who are dead in sin. So dead people don't receive the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about dead bodies, but spiritually dead, right? They don't receive the Holy Spirit. They also cannot receive the blood because they're dead. So what they have to do is go through this process. They have to repent. And be baptized. So baptism is burying the old self in Romans 6 says. To unite with Christ in his death. And then come out to unite with him in his resurrection. And to become new creation. Right? So that process is burying the old. And that dead in sin is converted now. Receiving the blood at that moment. Therefore the result is the forgiveness of sins. Clear? Amen? 
uh, Paul also said in Acts 22.16 to unbelievers there, be baptized and wash away your sins. So these are people who who are still dead in sin, unforgiven and unwashed, unclean. So if they had died then, they would remain as unclean. Thrown into where? Which Greek word? Come on. Hey, Gaina, there you go. They would have been stayed unclean, but as he said, be baptized and wash away your sins. Wash away your sins. So being baptized, they receive the blood. So these messages are to unbelievers. But believers, meaning you have received the blood now and through baptism. You have been forgiven. You have washed away your sins. Amen. If you have done that, you have experience of receiving the blood and having cleansed and washed of your sins. Sin in the spirit. Amen. And it is then the spirit now have made holy, been made holy. The Holy Spirit enters. Because the Holy Spirit does not enter dead spirit, unclean spirit. He only enters clean spirit, pure spirit. So again, who gets to have their spirit purified? Those who receive the blood. The blood of Yeshua purifies the spirit. Amen? That purification, that's not by the blood of animal sacrifice for one year or or, or by occasion. But this is the eternal spiritual blood of Yeshua shed for the spirit me. Therefore, that purification is 100%, once for all, perfect, eternal. Do you believe that? Then are we all saved? (laughs) They're like... Clearly, they weren't here last week. Are we saved? Are we all going to the holy city? How about that? No, that's a more clear uh, question, right? Or answer to give to? If the answer is yes, the Holy Spirit did not have to come. Think about that, right? If we have already been saved or going straight up to the holy city of the Father's house, the Holy Spirit did not have to come to help us, to guide us and lead us. The Holy Spirit came to do what? To lead the souls that have been purified by the blood to now purify their hearts. To purify their hearts. So what does purify the heart mean? So purify the heart does not mean like you go into the clean air in the mountains and eat clean food and think clean things. Hum. Shake off all the junk food. Hum. That's not what purification, purifier heart is. It starts with the heart. As we, we, we read, the knowledge, the direction, attitude, and the heart. But the heart has implication for all the actions, all the words of our life. So where we say heart, it means the life. So the Holy Spirit came to purify the heart as in help us to be purified in the heart, meaning to be sanctified. So the way David, although he was a man of the Old Testament, did not receive the counsel of the Holy Spirit, he was a repenting man. That's why God loved him very much. He did not worry about losing his throne, his kingdom, but he worried about losing the inspiration of the Spirit, the presence of God. So in Psalm 51, 7, and the whole psalm there, he had confessed, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. In verse 10, he said, create in me a pure heart. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So he's repenting for the wrong things that he had done. And again, even as a king, he could have done anything. I mean, he was king, and the king is the law of the land. But because he was God-fearing man, when the prophet rebuked him, he took it to the heart, and he feared God. He feared that God would abandon him, and that would be the end of it all. 
even if he was the most glorious and most powerful, prosperous king on the land, it wouldn't matter if, there, if, if God would leave him. So he was desperate and saying, create in me a pure heart. And how much more for those who now have the Holy Spirit, say amen, that we long to be purified in the heart. Amen. How do we purify our heart? Again, correct your attitude toward God and correct your heart, as the Holy Spirit says, right? Metanoeo, metanoeson, which is to now purify the heart, change the heart, and the way we're going to do that is by the word. Let's go to Ephesians 5, 26 to 27. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Again, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. So this is speaking of the church. That's why it's she, the bride of Christ. But that means the individual members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Amen. So the message is we have been cleansed. We Christians have been cleansed of this in the spirit, cleanse of this cleanse in the spirit by receiving that perfect, blameless, without defect, without um, flaw, the blood of Yeshua. Amen. One hundred percent. No one can touch that. And the Holy Spirit came to confirm that, seal that. Amen. Now we got to go to work. We got to go to work, and that is once I am forgiven. I have received. What do I need to do? The Holy Spirit enters me, the Spirit, and leads me to do the work of purifying my heart, changing my heart, changing my life. So if you receive the Holy Spirit, say amen. Amen. Speak in tongues? Change your life? I change the biggies. Right, that's how it goes. In the beginning, the biggies isn't the obvious, the very external, right? Addicts are now sober. No more stealing. One's thief, no more stealing. You know, one's a prostitute, now lives a clean life. All these biggies on the outside change immediately as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit. Like you quit cold turkey. No more drinking, no more smoking, no more drugging, cold turkey. Now, if, if one is not even doing that and they say they receive the Holy Spirit, they probably have not. And not, they have not received the Holy Spirit. So re- receiving the Holy Spirit is a result of me being cleansed in the blood. And the Holy Spirit has to then lead me to change and change. Certainly, it does not mean that you live a perfect saint life. That's why the Holy Spirit came. Every single day in fear and trembling, I need to work up my salvation, grow up in my salvation. So two steps forward, a step forward and two steps back. Sometimes that may be the case. But all the biggies and all the external changes need to take place. And then it's going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper to down to the deepest place where no one else knows but God. So that's why Yeshua said, it's not what you put in your mouth that that defiles you. But it's what comes from your heart that's defiling the person. So what the Holy Spirit does is he gathers these souls who have been purified by the blood into the church. And he's leading the church to repent. Churches to repent. Churches. Many, many churches around the world. Not all of them are true. However, if there are true churches, that's where the Holy Spirit works and speaks. And the message he speaks is repent. Amen? So as Paul wrote, his writing is hurting you. I'm hurting you. I didn't mean to. I love you. But I'm hurting you because it's not making you comfortable. It's cutting to the heart. And that's the way that we should have. The attitude we should have. The heart we should have is like, this word is for me. It's good for me. 
even if it's hard, I'm taking it because this is life for me. Uh oh. I hear death silence here. Not receiving. Are you receiving? Even if it's hard, you say amen. So be it. I'm going to put every effort to relive the life. Amen. That's what amen is. Truly, truly, true that. I'm not quite there, but I want to get there. Amen. So it is to lead us to have the mind of Christ as 1 Corinthians 2.16. What is the mind of Christ? Again, hum, huh, like Buddha, like I'm thinking like, there, I see a woman, but she's a tree. She's a piece of furniture. I'm not, no temptation. That's not what the mind of Christ is about. Mind of Christ, Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So the mind of Christ is the humble heart, the content heart. Are you content? You know what contentment is? Psalm 23. I shall not be in. But I want more. I want more. Man, CLJ is like really like controlling everything. But I want more. Taking on more of my time and... God, when I can move, I should make more money and sleep more and do more stuff. And COG is telling me to do this and this and this, so I can't do these things. That's not a content heart. That's not the humble heart. That is not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is no matter what happens by the fact that I have been cleansed by the precious blood of God. And it is only his grace, only by his grace. And therefore, I shall not be in want. That is the mind of Christ. That is the humble heart. That is the content heart. So the Holy Spirit makes this believer into becoming a true Christian. And that is to work out his salvation. Work out our salvation so that we may finally arrive in salvation. That is to leave this burning universe and enter not outside, but the holy city inside the Father's house. Now I need to then regret the word of God being the standard. I need to regret. I need to be sorrowful and I need to repent. So immediately, what I need to, what do I need to do? I need to regret. I should not have done that. I should not have thought that. I should not have said that. And then I am so sorry. It makes me so sad. It makes me so sad. It makes me scared. Alarm. It says fear, right? And fearing the punishment, the justice due. That is that in, according to God's books, I'm guilty. So I'm scared. So that leads me to repent. So for what? Specifically, what kind of heart? First, for being double-minded. Again, J's 4, 8 says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded? What is double-minded? Having two thoughts, as Yeshua said clearly. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you love money? Now are you going to lie on top of this too? Do you love money? I know you feel, uh, yes. When I was talking about money in Logos Lecture, everyone said, amen, because it was the right content. Okay, amen. But now if I say amen, I am double-minded. But let's be honest. Even if you don't say amen right now in front of other people, your neighbor, you could, I'm like, I'm a regional group leader of deacon. If I say amen, they're not going to come to my Wednesday meeting. But to God, tell him, I love money. And that makes me guilty. I'm double-minded. 
Double-minded means you say amen with your words in church, but out church, you are like crazy loving money and chasing after money. That's double-minded. In church, we have this holy religious makeup on, and everyone looks clean and holy, but out of church, out of here, I'm just like the world. And no one can tell the difference whether you are a believer or not, whether you belong to Christ or not. All the words you say, all the things you do, all the things that you chase after, ambitious things and greed, out of greed. And not just about greed and having wanting more, but worries, worrying about tomorrow. Oh, what if I don't have enough for tomorrow? What if I don't have enough for my family? So I need more. So greed is not just because like I have a lot, I want more. It's because they're concerned. So because they are now becoming like the world, these are those who are double-minded. And for that, repent, the word says. And specifically, double-mindedness leads to losing your first love. So that's what Revelation 2 to 2, 5 says. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, and so on. I know what you did for faith and all of that. But this is what I have against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. What is first love? The love that you fall out of? Yeah, that's what's called first love. And for Christians, first love. Have you, have, you, have you had the experience of falling in love with Yeshua? Your first love. Meeting Yeshua and truly experiencing the amazing grace of God. Amen? And therefore, you're so happy. Oh my God, is there any more gathering in the church? Please. And always, like this person's always, why are, you, why are you still here? I love church. I want to be here. I want to go to the next meeting. Is there a prayer meeting? Is there evangelism? Is there a meeting for cleaned of toilets and cooking? I need to be here. I want to be here. The first love for the Lord, for the gospel, for the truth, for the church, for the brothers and sisters. But then over time, as they get older, their passion cools down and their love cools off. In the beginning, it was fire, 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 fire for the Lord, fire for church, fire for truth, fire for his command, fire for the word. And then now it's like cold. And then they go ears and ears and they do the basic obey, obedience. And they now are even appointed deacons or leaders even. And then just like zombies. Pastor Ken calls them fossilized. Faith fossilized. You know what fossils are? Dead. The, the, the proof that they were once alive, but they're dead. Think about that. Am I fossil? Is my faith fossilized? Is my heart fossilized? Is it a fossil now? It's hardened and it's old and dead. That's why the Holy Spirit says, repent and be single-minded for the Lord and make the Lord Yeshua your satisfaction. So that is to not complain and not resent. Time to time I hear from people that I think they're at some level and maturity. And then I hear through other and they're complaining. Like they're like, oh, this is too much. I'm having a hard time. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. They're, they're still struggling with that? They're still struggling with I don't want to do this. Why do I have to do this? I get very discouraged when I think about that. But that's why the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. Go back to your first love. Repent for being double-minded Resolve to be single-minded. Hallelujah. Secondly, repent for being hard in heart, being stubborn and unrepentant. Romans 2.5 says, your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. So hearing the word but no longer responding, not even a drop of tear. Try to blow nose and try to wipe a tear, but there's nothing there. What happened? The heart is hardened, calloused. Nothing is moving them. For that, repent. Hardened, stubborn. 
because they're arrogant. They're not repenting. Thirdly, repent for the cold heart. First John 3.17 says, If anyone has material possession sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in the person? People are in need, yes, out there, but also brothers and sisters are in need. But you look the other way. You give it a chance to serve and help, but you look the other way. No thanks. And even seeing souls out there and you don't see them as souls, you don't speak a word of, 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 of the mercy of God. How can you say that the love of God is in you? That's what the Holy Spirit says. Having no pity on one another. The cold heart. And four, to be, to have, for having the lost heart, which is not acknowledging the word of God, rejecting the word of God, repent. Romans 1, 28 to 32 talks about that. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. You don't want the word of God? Fine, God says. You reject my word? Fine, I reject you. And what happens to those who are rejected? They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. All these things as a result of God abandoning them. Because they did not repent. For not acknowledging the word of God. So there is the parable scene. I know we're coming close to the end here. But let's quickly go to Luke 8 before we close. Luke 8, 11 to 15. 8.11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Produce a crop, produce salvation. How many of us want to be saved in that day? We have been saved from our sins, past sins, when we are baptized, when we receive the blood. Amen. But now we need to press on towards the salvation out of this burning universe when, I, when my faith is found to be mature. Until then, I need to be found as a good soil. The seed of the word falling onto good soil. And I want to be that good soil. There are many, many hearts, but not all are good soil. The path refers to those where the devil comes and takes away. It doesn't have no, any chance for it to root. As you're hearing the word, you're just going, yeah, right. Devil already ate it. You're on the road. The rocky ground. Initially, hallelujah, even cry. Yeshua on Sunday. Yeshua. And then they go out and they're tested and they fall. Tempted, they give in. Or, this word is too much. I've been trying out for a year, but Yeshua. The church of Jesus is always about Yeshua, Yeshua. So, so destroy it and it is finished and repent, repent. Uh, Could we hear something else? This is not practical. I'm going to think about it. Rocky ground. Thorns choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures. As I said about greed, double-mindedness. Is that not just wanting more, but because they're worried. Oh my God, tomorrow, the year after, my children, my family. Because of that, I I can't do it this right now. It's got to be on hold. Not only that, they can't give up the pleasures of the world. So in the beginning, they gave up this and this and that. But the sin that you can privately sin is in our hand. What's it called? 
What's it called? I know you don't have it on right now, but what's it called? In your privacy. In your privacy when nobody's looking. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can go into all kinds of world and do it as much as you want, as, as, as evil and wicked as it can be. So even if you say hallelujah and Yeshua here, or you come to morning, morning prayer, amen, Yeshua. Or maybe like, oh my God, I got to go to work. Yeah. And then go back or whatever you're doing. Or go back to the old habits, wicked habits. It's no use. No use at all. At all. At all. So think about that. What I'm doing here will have no impact in my life. What am I doing here then? I need to be saved. I need to make decision and be determined to be saved in that day. And not to go to end up in the outside of the holy city, but inside the holy city where there is the beautiful, perfect life of God to live with him face to face. Do you want to go there? That's called eternal life. Amen. Therefore, then I need to all the more with eagerness and indignation and alarm and fear with longing and passion and fearing the punishment. I need to beat my chest like the tax collector that Yeshua uh, talked about in Luke 18, 13. The Pharisee says, oh, I don't sin like that other guy. I am holy. You know that I'm righteous. You're holy. I'm holy. You're righteous. I'm righteous, God. Hallelujah. But the tax collector couldn't say a word. All he can do is beat his chest and say, God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. As Yeshua said in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be. Comforted. Do you want to be comforted? After feeling regretful, sorrowful, leading you to repentance, do you want to be comforted? And have peace that he has forgiven you, shown you mercy, then you got to do it right. Beat your chest. Beat your chest. Beat your heart. I want to change. I want to be different. But I'm by nature child of wrath. Loving the world and lazy. I don't want to serve. I don't want to evangelize. I don't want to do anything. I want to just live for me, 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 me. That's my nature. But I'm a child of God. By grace, I have been cleansed by your blood. Now the Holy Spirit is with me to lead me by grace to purify my heart. So help me. Help me. Help me to turn back to you. Help me to go back to you. And he will receive such a soul. Hallelujah. God does not expect perfect men without flaws. But he looks for those who are flawed. But who are able to be regretful, sorrowful, and repentant. And he will give them the spirit of repentance and the spirit of mourning, the spirit to be reconciled back to God so that they will be changing inside and out. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes and ask the question, do I have a godly conscience? If you have a godly conscience, you would feel regretful immediately, which will lead you to be sorrowful and lead you to daily, daily wash Daily cleanse, daily purify. If you hold it in there, it will build up and become a hard and callous heart. You need to empty it. Daily repent for your thoughts, your heart, your words, and your deeds. 
I need to do this daily washing and purification so that in that day, I can finally be brought into salvation that is eternal life in the holy city. So have mercy on me, Father. A sinner, a sinner, a a child of wrath by nature. Have mercy on me. Let's lift up our hands and call on his name. Yeshua!